the following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the last chapter, Umura and Eridine return from their mission and deliver their prize, the flawless ruby taken from Wyvern's Kiss. Chief Smell wastes no time and performs the binding ritual, connecting the power of the gem with Harl's armor. Blacknail's suit of plate and mail now grants the wearer immunity to fire. This is what they've been waiting for, a fighting chance against Dragonfire, and so the time has come for the PC's final mission. Smell gives them a send-off that includes the recitation of a warrior's poem and the gifting of two magical potions. Over the next few days, Grumblebelly's assistant, Frivius Brindle, escorts the party to the ruined supply depot, where they had sheltered for the night on their way to the Eye in the Fire, but this is as far as he goes. While he turns back for Thangar, the PCs, accompanied by Roland Az Augerstone, push on. They are headed for a spot at the base of the Cloud Spur that Grumblebelly had showed them on one of his maps. It's a cave, an entrance that will allow them to ascend the mountain from within. On their way there, they discover something troubling. When they reach the Fire River, they find a giant's footprint. It's deja vu, all over again. But this time, it's not a single print. It's a set of tracks that continues on the far bank of the river and leads all the way to the Cloudspur. When the companions reach their destination and find the cave entrance they were looking for, they can clearly see that the giant tracks lead right inside. It will come as a surprise to no one that a hill giant recently made its lair here, in the tower ruin atop the stone ledge at the back of the cavern. The damage to the tower is recent. The creature, unbelievably strong, tore down part of the building with its bare hands to make more room for its 12-foot-tall frame. Hill giants lack finesse, and it damaged the building more than it had intended to. The structure had once been a small guard tower. From its vantage on the ledge, attackers would have faced dozens of the Agagenites' crossbow bolts before they could cross the cavern and climb the stairs. This hill giant is stupid, but not so stupid that it can't recognize the value of high ground. The rubble from the extensive damage it has caused to the tower has, fortuitously, provided ample ammunition against anyone foolish enough to approach it. The companions are not fools, all the same. They still need to reach the tower if they plan to enter the Agagen by the back door. They are right to assume that climbing the mountain surface would be suicide. But how will they get past this monster when they can't even get close to it without braving a hail of jagged stone bricks? Well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, I think. Let's roll some dice first to set the stage. 
Since they've been expecting to run into a giant for some time now, I'll rule that the party cannot be surprised. The giant, however, can be. Even if surprised, it won't take the monster long to become aware of the intrusion, but if it fails this roll, I'll allow the PCs to reach the cover of the cavern's massive stalagmite before the giant can hurl a chunk of masonry at them. Rolling a d6, on a 1 or 2, the giant is surprised. I got a 3. The giant did not have a name. It did not even have the concept. It was a solitary existence, communicating with no one. Therefore, it could not speak any language, either. Some of the other, more intelligent species of giants had their own tongue, but hill giants were barely more than beasts. They ate, slept, and defended their lairs. This hill giant had no idea why it had left its home in the foothills of the Kazmirioth. Something had called it here, to the foot of the great mountain, and so it had come. It found some food along the way. Some large, strange creature had died in a fire. It tore off the parts that were still edible and carried on. When it found a suitable home, it stopped and set about preparing a new lair. The giant had been dozing when it heard the noise, a sound that did not belong here where only the wind spoke. Giants aren't very smart, but they can be cunning. It stirred and sat up, peering over the broken brick wall at the cave entrance. Daylight spilled into the cavern from outside and struck the huge stalagmite, throwing a long line of shadow across the floor that pointed straight at the giant. The pool that it used whenever it felt thirsty reflected the sun and, in the dim, looked like a shining silver moon on the ground. Because of the sun's position, when the small figures entered the cavern, they were backlit. Details were impossible to make out, but their silhouettes were very clear. Five intruders at its door. This was good, for it had eaten the last of the horrible-tasting burnt meat and would need more food soon. It selected a brick, stood up, and hurled the missile at the figures with all its might. I need to determine who the giant is aiming at. With Harl and Daz in front, they're slightly more likely targets, even considering that their short stature will not provide much cover to those behind them. I'll use a D8. On a 1 or 2, the missile flies at Harl. A 3 or 4, Daz. On a 5, Gyrios. 6, Umora, and 7, Eridine. If I get an 8, I'll reroll. Here goes. A 1. Okay. Harl's armor class is 2, and the giant is an 8 plus 2 hit die monster, so it needs a 10 to hit him. Rolling a d20. I've got a 4. Harl sees it coming in time, and the heavy brick whooshes over all their heads a split second after he yells for everybody to GET DOWN! Chapter 67, Part 1, Day 98, Mid-Afternoon. Party status, Harl, 34 of 34 hit points. Gyrios, 37 of 37. Eridine, 20 of 20 hit points. Umura, 25 of 25. Roland Daz, 17 of 17. Spells available. Umura has memorized. Hold portal. Charm person. Levitate. Knock. Lightning bolt. And water breathing. Gyrios has prayed for. Cure light wounds times two. Resist fire. Speak with animals. Striking. And create water. Over there! yelled Harl, springing back to his feet and sprinting to the protection of the massive stalagmite. 
Aerodine got there before anyone else, but Daz was right on her heels. The slowest of them was Harl, but he managed to dive behind cover just before a second brick whipped by and clattered on the rock floor near the cave mouth. Before flattening himself against the smooth wet surface of the stalagmite, Harl caught a glimpse of his assailant, at least 12 feet tall, with wild hair and wild eyes, filthy and naked, bulging with muscle. Harl had never laid eyes on a giant before. He had heard the stories though, as all dwarves had, and he felt something awaken inside him, a desire to kill. He stared at the axe in his hand and narrowed his eyes. Gyrios peeked around the other side. He could dimly see the tower ruin atop the ledge and the stairway running diagonally up the side. He couldn't make out any other shapes in the shadows. The giant gave a bellow of frustration, and Gyrios jerked back into the safety of cover. He realized he was trembling in fear. He fished the potion of growth out of his belt pouch and looked at it with a shaking hand. Perhaps if we even the odds, he managed to say. No, you'll just make a bigger target, Gyrios. We'll have to brave his barrage and make a run for the stairs. With the way you run, said Daz, I'd have thought you'd prefer a different plan of attack. It's the only way. Prepare yourselves. When we break cover, try to spread out. Don't run in a straight line. Ready? Wait, said Umura. I have a better idea. Although it pained her to do it, Umura opened her recently acquired scroll case. She slid out the scroll containing the spell she had been unable to transcribe into her book. If she used it now, the spell would be gone for good. It could never become her own. Nevertheless, this was the only solution to the problem she could think of. What happens when you take five newbies to D&D and put them in an actual player podcast? Chaos, that's what. Do Dragon's Dream Escort Sheep tells a tale of a group of adventurers fighting against impossible odds in a situation they don't quite understand, using tools they really shouldn't be allowed to use unsupervised. Join us as they battle monsters, despots, criminals, and their own dice, while they forge a path through the world of Erethria. We have drama, we have comedy, we have characters throwing bears, we even sing a song or two. Do Dragon's Dream Escort Sheep is available everywhere you can find podcasts. Umura tried not to think about what she was about to do. Eridine would have been a better choice. She was the braver of them. No, this was for her to do. She remembered back to Vashuk's cavern. She tried to remember the feeling of Kagan's hand on her elbow from behind, letting her know he was there for her. Are you there for me now? She whispered under her breath. Kagan, are you watching me now? She read the scroll, and as she uttered the final syllable, it disintegrated in her hands. Umura felt the magic flow through her. She pulled the hood all the way off her lantern and stepped away from the stalagmite into plain view. The giant on the ledge responded to the movement and light immediately, bellowing a challenge. In seconds, a huge fragment of stonework was flying straight at her. She stood her ground. Now! She called. Daz, Harl, and Gyrios broke cover and sprinted for the stairs. Moments before the chunk of rock would have struck her, it dropped straight down in mid-flight, as though swatted to the floor by an invisible hand. At least, that is what Umura thought would happen. Because she had failed to transcribe the spell into her book, it's not hard to see how she got it so wrong. 
Umora doesn't truly understand how this magic works, and she does not realize that the spell Protection from Normal Missiles only works against small missiles. The expert rules specifically states that thrown boulders are not affected by the spell. This is an honest mistake that came about in gameplay the same way it would have if the game were being played live in a group with the DM who was separate from the players. Simply put, I messed up. It's the player's job to know their spells, and I didn't even read the spell description until after I had cast it in play. This could be bad for our sorceress. Furthermore, Umura isn't even making an effort to get out of the way, so I'm going to give the hill giant a plus two on his attack roll, not that he'll need it. The giant will only need a two on a d20 to hit her. Well, here we go. It's possible I'll roll a one, I suppose. A 16. Umura is about to take 2d8 damage. Might as well roll that now, too. She'll take seven points. Somehow she knew in the final instant that she had made an error. The impact would have been worse if she hadn't doubted herself and stepped just a little to the side. Instead of hitting her square in the chest, the rock struck her left arm and spun her like a top. Her lantern fell to the floor and started rolling away. Dizzy, she tried to crawl after it on hands and knees. Her arm was wet with blood and her mind raced. What had happened? Why hadn't it worked? There was no time to figure it out now. She had to do something before the giant noticed the others. Reaching out, she grabbed the lantern and sprang to her feet. Before she even knew what she was doing, she called up at the giant. Hey! I've lost my mind, she had time to think. Just then, Aradine poked out from cover and loosed an arrow. The monster roared again as the arrow smashed against the cavern's back wall, missing its mark but ruining the giant's aim. The brick it launched fell short, but there was no shortage of ammunition. Now Umura strafed right, swinging her lantern and trying to draw the monster's attention to her. She had no choice. She had to buy time for the others. Some part of her still hoped the spell might even begin to work, but she wasn't going to stand still and wait for another rock to hit her. Not this time. The giant was now dimly visible atop its high vantage. It was huge and moved much faster than the sorceress would have imagined. She knew a moment of panic before a third shard of masonry was launched in her direction. Oh boy, this really is a huge foul up. Daz, Gyrios, and Harl need three rounds to reach the giant, one to cross the cavern, and two more to climb the stairs. It's not a given that the giant will stay focused on Umura while the trio charges its position. Umura does have a very bright light, however, which makes her a clear target and could keep the attention off the others. Every round she stays out in the open, vulnerable. I'll say that there's a 50% chance that the giant will be fixated on her. Problem is, I don't think Umura can last three rounds out in the open. Entering combat. Whatever happens here, I'll allow Aradine to get off I'll say two shots with her bow as she pops out from cover and then quickly hides behind the huge stalagmite once again. Here's the first target check. Rolling high, low. High means the giant keeps its current target. A 17. The giant continues to hurl bricks at Umura. Now that she's a moving target, he'll need a 4 to hit her. That's slightly better, but still feels significantly south of safe. Umura currently has 18 hit points. I can't see any reason to roll for initiative yet. I'll call it simultaneous action until melee begins. The giant hurls another brick at Umura. 
and 11 hits for 8 points of damage this time. The brick bounces off the floor before striking her in the stomach and knocking her flat on her back. While she scrambles to her feet, Eredin fires her bow. I'm applying a minus two penalty due to the giant's partial cover and distance. All things considered, she'll need a 14 or better. The roll. A 14! Ha! Eredin is a hell of a good archer. Damage will be... Six! Nice! I suppose I had better determine how many hit points the giant has now. Rolling 8d8 plus 2. Let's see, I don't have 8d8s. Uh, I'll do it in a couple batches. Uh, okay, 18 and... 16 plus 2 is 36. Well, after that arrow hit, it's an even 30. At this point, Gyrios and the two dwarves have just reached the stairs. Let's do another target check. Who will the giant attack? Same as before, if it's Umura, she could well be killed right here and now. Bad luck. Unlucky 13 means the giant is not distracted from his original target. The light seems to be doing its job. I hope Umura doesn't have to pay the ultimate price for my error. Rolling to hit. A 9 hits. Umura has only 10 hit points. This could be bad. Rolling 2d8 for damage. 8 points. Umura has only just picked herself off the ground when a third brick strikes her, this time in the back of the head. Her vision goes dark for a few seconds as the sorceress lurches and stumbles around as though drunk. It is Eridine who saves her when she dashes out, grabs her by the back of her cloak, and yanks her out of harm's way. The melee fighters are now halfway up the stairs. The giant finally notices them and will spend his last round trying to push a section of wall off the ledge and onto their heads. Collapsing the wall is not a problem for something of this size and strength. As for the characters, I'll have each of them make a dexterity check to avoid taking 1 to 8 points of damage from the falling bricks. Daz is first. He'll need an 18 or lower. Yikes, 18 on the die, but that is a success. He flattens himself against the ledge wall just in time to avoid the cascade of falling bricks. Harl is next. His dexterity is just a 7. I've rolled an 8. So close. Carl's going to be hit for six points. Furios is last. He's strangely agile for a cleric and has a dexterity score of 14. His roll, a five. He gets his shield up in time, and while the masonry hammers it and mends his arm, he is not hurt. Eridine can take one more shot before her companions reach the top and melee combat begins. As before, she needs a 14. 18! Honestly, how can this woman be so insanely badass? Rolling damage. Another six! The giant, now with two arrows sticking out of his body, cries out in pain, picks up a huge bone club, and rushes forward to meet his attackers. Round one. Initiative. The party. A four. The hill giant. A five. Despite its size, the giant does not lumber and stomp around. It springs over the pile of rubble and launches itself at Gyrios with amazing speed. The bone club whips across in a blinding white arc. An 11 will hit. I've got a 16. The club slams into the cleric for... 10 points. Gyrios is smashed back into the tower wall and the wind is knocked out. Now it's the party's turn. Eredin fires again. Can she make it three in a row? A nine, her arrow flies wide. She pulls another from her quiver and knocks it in one fluid motion. Daz is eager to prove himself. He swings his grandfather's axe with all his might. He'll need a 12. A 5 will not do it. 
Perhaps Harl can land a hit. He needs an 11. Oh, a one. The giant slaps him to the side and Harl's axe goes skittering away. Another few inches and it would have fallen right off the edge. Gyrios needs a 12 to hit with his magical mace. Remember that this weapon now has the additional striking property. Well, let's see if it hits first. An 18, it sure does. He pushes himself off the wall and cracks the hill giant on the kneecap. Damage will be 1d6 plus one. And if he rolls a six, the damage die will explode. Here's the roll. I got a three on the die. That's four points of damage, bringing the giant down to 20. Round two, initiative. The party, one. The hill giant, three. The hill giant is really too dumb to employ any kind of strategy and will swing at a random target each round. This round it'll be Gyrios again. It needs an 11 to hit the cleric. A 15 hits, but for just five points. The club swing misses, but the giant follows up with a kick that catches Gyrios right in the chest. The party retaliates. Daz chops down with his weapon. A seven is yet another miss. Harl dives for his axe, catching it before it can slide off the edge. He rolls to the side and then clambers up a small pile of rubble, where he rejoins the fight. That just leaves Gyrios and Eridine. Gyrios tries to connect with his mace again. He needs a 12. A 2. That kick was hard enough to addle his brain, and his aim is off. Eridine takes her shot. A 6. Well, that is a goose egg of a round for the PCs. They'll have to do better than that if they want to get past this monster. It is round three. Initiative. The party. A one. The hill giant. A four. The giant is dominating this fight, and it can sense it. It makes a weird huffing sound as it towers over... Daz and attacks. It'll need a 12 to hit his AC of zero. A five misses, and the nimble dwarf dives to the side, and springing back up, swings his axe low. Finally, a 15 hits, rolling damage. Seven points. He hamstrings the giant, and hot blood sprays everywhere. While the giant stumbles, Harl brings his axe over his head, and then straight down. A 10 just misses, and the blade of the axe strikes the rock floor, sending sparks flying. A half inch more to the right, and the giant would have lost a few toes. Gyrios tries to hit the flank. A 15 will do it. He smacks the giant in the hip for three points. Eridine looses another arrow. A 17 with a thwack. The missile plants itself in the small of the giant's back for two points. The enemy is now at eight hit points, much less than half of its maximum. It's beginning to look like a pincushion and blood is running freely from a number of wounds. Time to make a morale check. The giant's morale is an eight, rolling 2d6. Oh, an 11. Is this a tale of the manticore first? Maybe it's just been a really long time. Okay, so the giant has failed its morale check. What would it do? Surrender? I'm not sure it has the intelligence. I think it would try to get away, but there's only one way to go and that's down. I'm going to roll a high low. High means the giant will try to charge past the PCs to reach the stairs. This would allow everyone a free attack on it. If I roll low, I think the giant goes right off the edge. Rolling. I got a five. The giant backs up, then backs up some more, trying to keep its enemies in front of it. Suddenly, it slips off the edge and, clawing at the air, disappears. 
It'll take 6d6 falling damage as it hurdles 60 feet to the cavern floor. Wow, that's 22 points. It lands head first, breaking its neck with a wet snap and crumpling into a motionless, bloody heap. And with that, combat is over. Gyrios took a couple of nasty hits, but when Harl turned to ask him if he was alright, the cleric had already reached the stairs and was running back to check on Eridean. When he reached the bottom, he looked up to see the rogue gesticulating wildly and his heart skipped a beat. That is, until he realized that she was fine and instead was pointing to the floor behind the stalagmite. When he arrived, he understood. Umora was on the ground, curled up in the fetal position and lying in a pool of blood. She was unconscious, but still breathing. Gyrios cast Cure Light Wounds on her once, and then again. After the second casting, the sorceress's eyes fluttered open. She coughed up a little blood and looked at the cleric's concerned face. I almost... <laughs> I almost got you all killed, she whispered. Fat tears spilled down her cheeks. You almost got yourself killed, I think you mean, Gyrios replied. Umora coughed again, then her eyes rolled back into her head, and she was once again unconscious. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and want to support the show, there are now four ways to help. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, available for a buck fifty on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My thanks to everyone who supports the show. I'd like to read a review from iTunes today. This one was posted by Mr. JDM. Mr. JDM writes... Meshing these two art forms was very inspired. The results are fantastic and enthralling. Thanks very much for that kind review, Mr. JDM. I'm hoping that others will try this hybrid format too. Hey, to everyone listening, if you've been thinking about giving it a go, I say, don't hesitate. There's a lot of room here for creative expression. Speaking of creative expression, back in the role of Daz is Jared Grimm. Find Jared on Twitter at CrazyDrunkenElf. I'm on Twitter, too, if you care to get in touch. Find me at Manticore Tale. Or if you prefer Instagram, I'm at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com, where I post show notes, art, character sheets, maps, and other miscellany. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. My name's Ruin Ortega, one of the hosts of Cantrips and Coffee. We love tabletop games. We love them so much that we can't stop talking about them or playing them. The trouble is that there's so many to choose from. Now, we could stop and just play the big one, you know, the one that everybody plays, but life is meant for more than just one game for the rest of our lives, isn't it? That's why we're determined to play the best ones. We want to know which are worth our money and which we should probably just skip. 
Am I close enough to any of the other survivors to reach someone's like leg? Yes. Can I crush that person's leg? Yes. Okay, let's. Carl is suddenly looking for a new mentor to be sidekicked. <laughs> this isn't surprising. When you first did it, I was like, yeah, we got this. Like, we've just been too timid. We have been too scared to touch anything. Like, he's going to go through. It's going to be good. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> Join us for brand new episodes weekly on Cantrips and Coffee.